RadioInfluence.com. Welcome into the March 8th, 2022 edition of the MMA Report Podcast with Daniel Galvan. I am Jason Floyd. And Daniel, we did the show last Monday night. We recorded, and then, of course, just uh, hours after we recorded that show, news came out that Kane Velasquez uh, was arrested in California. We now know he has been charged with 10 counts in relation to an incident that happened there in the San Jose, Santa Clara era, where he has uh, been charged with attempted murder along with nine other charges. And this has obviously been a hot topic in the mixed martial arts community and so uh, come here just in a couple of moments you're going to hear the conversation that i had with tampa attorney william frankie aka the law father does a podcast here on radio influence as you know daniel i think when we look at the mma community and, and the reaction to this story um you know I, I don't think we're getting a lot of legal uh, a legal analysis out there about it. so that's why i wanted to bring in william but um there, there is a human element in the story, no question about it. And you know, I saw, uh, you know, of course, Kane was denied bail on Monday, and, and I thought John McCarthy had a really great Instagram post, or excuse me, a Twitter post on Monday, where he said he tweeted this. He says, "Judge Selena Brown says at Kane MMA is a danger to all Santa Clara residents, which we know is untrue. Yes, he is a danger to one resident. While that one resident is free, is in is." a danger to every child in Santa Clara County and beyond. Where is the logic? And, and you know, and, and that's going to come my conversation with, with William about kind of this, the fact of you have an alleged child uh, molester. I mean, let's just call it what it is, is out of jail while Cain Velasquez. Well, yes, he did. You know, and he took the law into his own hands. He's in jail. It's one of those things. That I just, I don't know. I just sit back and I just go, and I agree with what Dana White said last week. Cain Velasquez did what every father said they would do. Yeah, I mean, if, if it's whether it be your your own direct child or literally anyone in your family or a friend, if you knew that they were molested, you would not care about the law. I think most people at least would say that. I don't think a lot of people would act on it because there are consequences for your actions. But everyone, I think, understands the basic psychology of you do not want to wait for a trial. If that person who did that heinous crime to your child is out free, you want to do something. You want to like, like, yeah. And, and, and someone who is a father, it's just it's an awful situation it really is when you look at the logic of not letting Cain Velasquez out on bail and you read what the judge said I I must say I like I I think Cain should be out obviously but I understand the logic And, and and the quote you read is something I think most people would understand is like Cain was targeting this one specific guy but to the judge's Perspective. I do understand the perspective in that the action that Kane did endangered 
so many people endangered the individuals driving while he was driving and also when he fired the gun it, it could have missed the car it obviously didn't hit his intended target but it could have hit a target in, an, in another car so i understand that analysis it, it jason simply put it, it's an awful situation I, I thought the conversation i had a chance to listen to it before this podcast i thought the conversation you had that people are going to listen to is a really good sobering um, reflection of what the justice system is. But from a human standpoint, it's hard not to be sympathetic towards Cain Velasquez because, again, I think most people understand where that rage was coming from. Yeah, I mean, I think where I really sit is here is, and I go, I'm not arguing that Cain should not be sitting in jail. My, my issue is, why is an alleged child molester free wearing an ankle bracelet? That's where I'm at. But let's hear the conversation that I had with William Frankie, attorney based here in Tampa. Goes by the name The Law Father. So here's my conversation with William Frankie. I'm now joined by a man that I get to sit in this room with him every week talking about the law side. And well, law sides hit mixed martial arts as I do my show last week. News comes out, Cain Velasquez, a former UFC heavyweight champion. Uh, he has been arrested, multiple charges, including uh, attempted murder. And so this has been a huge topic amongst the mixed martial arts community. And, of course, I'm joined by the law father, William Frankie. Of course, you can listen to his podcast here on Radio Influence. Of course, also on all the major podcasting platforms. But I want to get your legal take because the MMA community is, I think, reacting it from a, a human side. Where they're sitting there saying, if that was my relative, I'm doing the same exact thing. And of course, I think everyone knows the story on this one goes back uh, towards the end of February where uh, the man in this case, uh, Harry Gallart, uh, allegedly um, sexually abused a close relative is a way it's being defined. If you go on social media, you hear our fighters. I think everyone knows the relationship there is to this. But one to get your side of the equation. First off, so he gets arraigned last week. And I guess what was odd to me was he's arraigned, but bail is delayed four days. Why is that? And that's not typical, right? Typically, one follows the other. And so arraignment, just to kind of touch on that, that's when you either plead guilty, which I don't know whoever does that, okay? Or you go not guilty, right? And the if you're, uh, if you, and actually, Honestly, at least here in Florida, a lot of times you get your bail first and then your arraignments sometime after that. Mm -hmm. Right. So it just kind of depends. But, um, you know, typically, especially when you're talking about somebody who has and I would imagine he probably travels a little bit internationally. Right. And especially, you know, he's definitely domestically traveling. But I would assume with the MMA and being the level that he is, he's doing some international travel. So sometimes there's these thoughts of, OK, we probably need to gather some more evidence just in terms of is he a flight risk? Is he not a flight risk? What are his ties to the community? Right. So those are the types of things that you're looking at when they're trying to determine bail. And that may not have been something that they had at their disposal immediately. Or it could actually just be that that state is how they do it. Right. So every state's a little bit different. Truth be told, every county is a little bit different. So even here in Florida, like we see small differences in the way people do things. But generally speaking, they look at the complexity of the crime. Sometimes they look at the amount of evidence they have against the person. I think they have a decent amount from what I've seen so far in this one. Uh, video tells a lot. And uh, is the person a flight risk? And, you know, are, are they going to do this again? Right. So is there other circumstances that you might not want to let the person out? 
Yeah, the bail hearing was today, and Mark Aragos, who's representing Cain Velasquez, uh, was attempting to get bail. You know, says, hey, well, he'll turn over his passports. That was not the case. The judge in the case says, it's clear this court, and it's clear and convincing evidence that there's substantial likelihood that release would result in great bodily injury, not to be named, uh, not just to the name complaining witnesses in the case, but to the Santa Clara residents at large. This case involves allegation of extreme recklessness to human life, ramming a vehicle in the middle of the day, or our citizens out driving going about their business and shooting out of a car at other individuals, which is reckless by any standard. Anyone could have been injured. Anyone could have been killed. And when this court looks at Article 1, Section 12, it's the level of risk that is the most we must take into consideration. With that being said, the court is making the ruling that the risk is too great and that there will be no bail set at this time, which this is just... uh, Everyday man sits here and looks at this case, and I say, "Okay, I'm not, I'm not trying to sit here and say Kane should be released." Yeah, but I'm also looking at the other aspect of this story where I go, just days before this incident, a man, and this is a quote from a, a news article I found: Velasquez was arrested on money after allegedly shooting a man while targeting another man, accused of molesting a family member, possibly a hundred times. That man is out on bail, and I think we look at that and say. Is that just something that's wrong with our judicial system that someone be accused of something of a molesting a child? He's out with an ankle monitor on, while the guy who basically decided I think the judicial system has let me and my family down. And look, I'm not trying to say he should have done this. Yeah, but I'm just saying, like, I look at that and say, how is this guy not in jail? Right. Yeah. So kind of a few things there. Like, well, let's start with the bail part for a second, because if you look at it, you are guaranteed you're, you're protected by the Constitution and the, and the Bill of Rights to not have unreasonable bail. Right. Mm-hmm. Different from you can have bail denied. So it's not a right that you actually are allowed to be bonded out. OK, it's just you're guaranteed that it, that the amount won't be unreasonable, yeah. but the amount can be zero, meaning that you're staying. Right. So there's that aspect to it. What I'm having a really hard time wrapping my head around is where did the justice system fail Cain Velasquez? The guy was out on bail. The guy hadn't the guy hadn't even had trial yet. Right. So this guy who's who's accused of this lewd and lascivious act. Okay, And look, talking strictly from the legal side of things, right? Because there's, there's a difference of, and I, I, and I'm a little bit amazed, I guess, by the outpouring of support for Velasquez because every like MMA fighters, Twitter, you know, general public, Hey, we're going to stay here and protest for, to free Kane until he's out. Right. But and and the the underpinning theme is well the justice system failed well where did it fail because the guy isn't the the victim in this the the one who is the alleged lewd and lascivious guy right he wasn't found innocent the state didn't drop the charges he still has a trial pending and I think you said he was on an ankle monitor yeah I, I read that I mean so I mean maybe I'm missing something maybe maybe from the, another perspective you know where did the system fail him but I think we all look at it. And I guess this is like the human aspect of the story where we're sitting there saying, if that was our family member, we're probably in the same mindset that Cain Velasquez was in. I'll give you the same mindset, but then I guess sometimes you got to go, hey, you know what? Maybe I shouldn't do this, right? And look, it's one thing. 
here's the here's the real easy to the real easy way to differentiate this, mm-hmm. right? Cain Velasquez sees this guy at a bar, mm-hmm. beats the crap out of him, right? Probably getting a pass, right? What what state attorney is going to take that and run with it and take it to trial, right? Probably going to offer you a sweetheart deal. Yes, you get a conviction on your record. Yes, that prosecutor gets a conviction on his belt, right? But guess what? It, it probably dies a slow or a quick, quiet death that no one cares about. Okay, so looking at it from a legal aspect, let's say he doesn't have any guns on him. Yeah. He's not shooting him at all. Let's just say he decides, you know what? I found this person. It's an 11-mile chase, and he's ramming with his car. And let's just say he's able to stop that car, pulls the guy out, beats the crap out of him. Yeah. How different are the charges? Could, could you could you still say attempted murder because you could maybe the DA argues his hands are a deadly weapon? It's even simpler than that, right? So you could take it. It could be you or I, right? I don't. Mm-hmm. I am not an MMA fighter. I don't think yeah. I've never heard that you fight MMA. So we're gonna go with that. Neither one of us are. The car's a deadly weapon. By mere fact of him ramming the car, there's an attempted murder charge times three because you have three people in the car, right? So there you go. You have that. Now, truth be told, you you potentially have more serious charges if he didn't have a gun and did a shooting, right? Because here's what happens. So, it, it, and, and you got to kind of change your mindset and what you think of with the law in, in some of this. Because if I tell you that it could be a burglary, right? You'd say, well, that he didn't steal anything. But a burglary, you just have to have the intent to commit a crime therein. That's the the phrasing of it, right? So if you go into a car, right? So Cain Velasquez rams him, does everything else. Both cars stop. He goes, opens the door, reaches in. Okay, now he's breached that threshold. He's now inside that conveyance. The car is considered a conveyance, okay? He's gone in with the intent that he's going to commit a battery, meaning that he's going to hit this guy, Right? There's your burglary. So instead of burglary slash theft, which is what we would typically think of, you have burglary because you went in and you intended to commit a battery. So you pull him out and you hit him. There's your battery. Potentially worse in terms of charges because now if you kill a guy, now you got felony murder on top of it, which felony murder is is kind of just a step below a first degree because you don't have to prove any premeditation, right? It, it's it's really in line with the first degree. So you, you could actually have a potential for the charges to be even more serious and that, you know, take the gun out of it. Yeah. And of course, that's what a lot of these charges, when you look at the 10 counts that are out there, uh, in terms of now, let's just say you're Mark Garagos. Obviously, this is going to be a tough case for, is a thought process... I just got to try to get this pleaded out to, to limit jail time. I, I mean, possibly. And maybe you try to figure out how to get the state to split the baby because I like my chances better in a trial against the, the person who was out on bail. The, the one that was accused of looting lascivious. I like my chances better. I still don't like them because I don't know how you separate the facts of you have two other people in the car. Right. And so I think that changes the dynamics of the whole is that you have these two people that are here. They didn't do anything wrong other than, you know, they hang out with this guy. But maybe they don't know. Yeah. You know, so you don't you don't even know what they know to even know if they are have any involvement. But even if they did have involvement legally, I I, I don't see where there's a a right to this. And and God, the defense has such a such an uphill battle. You know, I, I don't. 
I'm not even sure that I see an out, especially because there's video of this. There's video of Cain Velasquez tracking this guy, and you can see the damage on the car, and and it's just, oh man, this. I don't know how you're going to create doubt in any of this. From the prosecution side, and let's say this goes to trial. Yeah. Now you got to sit a jury. Twelve. I'm guessing it's twelve people in the state of California. It depends, but in, in something serious like this, it most likely is. So if you're Garagos, you just need one person to convince. How does it, how do you get a trial? Because I got to imagine if you're Garagos, you want 12 fathers on that jury. Most likely. But I mean, some of, some of what you get for jury is by chance, right? So it works like this. You have a bunch of people and, and I haven't done one since COVID, right? So and California, God knows they're a lot different than we are here in Florida, right? We're the wild, wild west of COVID restrictions. But typically you have a box and they, they, it's really structured like a box. And you have, you know, either 12, usually 13 seats or seven seats somewhere in the box, right? 12 or six jurors plus an alternate. Um, and, you know, on a bigger case, something like this, there's probably going to be a couple of alternates. But they start at juror one and they seat them usually left to right as you're looking at them, mm-hmm. right? So you have one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, 10, 11, 12. And you usually have, depending on, on the severity and, and um, like I said, like one like this, your jury pool is probably going to be about 100 people, I would guess. For, for something of this nature, okay? And it's compounded by the fact that he has a public name, right? So it, it may, you need a bigger jury pool. But anyway, you, you go through, and if you have no objections on what, let's say we're using six people, right? One through six, those are your six jurors. That's how it goes. And then so what the attorneys are doing back and forth are they're asking questions and the, and the state's going to kind of phrase their questions and you're going to try to put as much out as you can that you're, it's really tough because you're not really allowed to get into the facts of the case, right? But you're going to get enough out there to, to talk in hypotheticals to get the people to understand what your viewpoint is on the case, right? And really good lawyers can do a really good job. I've sat in on on, on cases where I've watched this happen. I've, I've watched the jurors eat up what the state's saying, right? And then my trial partner's gone in and he's on his side. And I've seen that, that mental switch of the jury going, oh, or the, the jury pool going, oh, it didn't quite happen like that. I, I'll, I'll give you, so the last time I was, uh, had jury duty. Yeah, I got called back. So this is obviously pre-COVID callbacks. So I'm probably like, I don't know. There's probably 30 of us in the room. Yeah. And so, you know, you, we walk into the courtroom, DA's office on one side, defense on the other side, the defendant's sitting there. And I remember there was, there was a lawyer, a part of the jury pool. And the judge's like, oh, Mr. Whatever his name was. Oh, I recognize you. And I'm like, oh, there's no way that guy's getting picked. Yep. <laughs> like, But then I remember there was a point where... It was clearly a case of, of a molester that the person did not come forward till years later because the way they kept asking the questions. Yeah. And I remember couldn't, how many times the judge would say, uh, we're just picking a jury. You're not presenting the case. <laughs> but I feel like in this case, if it does get there, both sides are going to have to do that to try to find the person that they truly want on the jury. Right. And, but, and 
Yes, but keep in mind, you only get so many, right? So they're called preemptive challenges. You have, uh, excuse me, those are the, take a step back, sorry. You have challenges for cause, which is what you kind of just described where you're asking the questions. Yeah. And then you have preemptive. Preemptive, you get three, and I, I could pick one, two, three, done, right? And, and they can't be discriminatory, right? But it's one of those things, did you not pick the guy because he was a guy or, you know, because of his race or whatever else? No, okay, next. Like, it, it, it's, you ever gonna get to anybody to go, yeah, that is why, right? Oh, I, I, I remember specifically, they they went through all the questions. So it was like, I don't know, half hour, hour, going around the whole audience asking various questions. We go out for a break and I looked at the guy next to me. I go, I already know the jury is. He goes, what do you mean? I go, they kept asking the same six people different questions. So clearly those are the jurors. Yeah. I go, so we're good. Yeah. Yeah, you can start counting. I mean, I, I've been in that, that same kind of situation where I've got called back. I'm sitting in there going through. It's called voir dire when they're asking the questions. And they actually came to that same question when they go, you know, does anybody know anybody? I'm like, yeah, uh, that defense attorney and I have gone against each other. And I know that plaintiff's attorney very well. And it was like, uh, yeah, you probably can't be impartial with that defense attorney. I'm like, think, I'm thinking out loud. I go, yeah, of course I can. But we all know, like, it's tough. You're an adversary. You, it's tough to turn that switch, right? But, you know, that that's you're, you're right in that. You can start figuring it out. And the problem is, is not problem, but on the one side, you're trying to figure out who the other side likes yeah. and who they don't like. So you can start, because you only get so many questions and you only get so much time. So you got to start going, okay, do they like that person? Do I not like that person? Because I have three and three and they have three and three. And I don't want to waste my three if it's going to be someone they're going to waste theirs on. Yeah. Right. So it, it, there's a lot of, there's a lot of tactical aspect to it. Right. And a lot of times it'll go, okay, the state will pick, they'll go, okay, I want that person for cause. Then they'll remove that person. Then the defense will go, okay, I want that person for cause. So they use, or, or for uh, the preemptive challenges, you usually do first. Right. Because then for cause, there's a, a lot of explanation that has to go on. So you go, I don't want juror number one. Well, why not? Uh, because that person said that they had been molested in the past and they said that they couldn't be impartial and get past that. And clearly anybody who's been convicted of it or, or has been charged with it is guilty, right? Okay, that juror is gonna go away, yeah. you know? So, and, and they'll do things, you'll hear them try to clean things up. And so, the state will, will ask if someone can be, um, if, you know, they're upset by something and they'll go, yeah, no, um, you know, I, I don't think I can, could do something like that. And then maybe the defense really likes that person. They'll go, well, do you think that you can follow the judge's orders and be impartial? Mm -hmm. They'll go, yes. And then a lot of times when you come back to that back and forth with the judge, the judge will have made notes. Well, that person said they could be impartial, so they stay. Because of San Jose being such a huge mixed martial arts community. Don't you think the DA may try to get the trial moved out of that area for to, in terms of a jury pool? I, I mean, I think, I think it's a big enough area that I would imagine you should be able to get a jury pool without much of an issue, right? Um, I mean, you look even at something as big as OJ. I don't think they changed venue in, in OJ's case. I think they kept it right there and, and you know, uh, OJ Simpson that is, and, and that was a big, big yeah. case with a, with a big, big name. Right. So yeah, I, I can't see something like that changing venue for it may, you'll need a bigger jury pool, but yeah. I mean, just think of how many people there are that don't like sports period. And, and that essentially becomes your jury more or less. Because of this is going to be such a hard case for them to get a, a not guilty verdict. On. Yeah. 
do you think that it's if you're Garagos, are you already going into plea negotiations at this point? I, I think you always do anyway, because you got to know what you're working with, right? You have to know what your risk is. Trial is always a last resort, at least in my opinion. Trial is always a last resort because trial comes with risk. There, you don't know what's going to happen. You control your own destiny up until trial. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of nice knowing what that destiny looks like, right? Because if that destiny looks like five years instead of life, you know, maybe that's something you consider. Now, I mean, that said, I don't want to spend five years in any jail or prison, but I also don't want to spend life in one either. So, you know, I, I don't know. I would probably avoid doing something like this. Like as I look at count two through 10, which are all related to the gun, like h- how can you prove innocence from a legal, like, is there any, any way from a, a defense aspect that he can tackle these counts or do you just, or, or is the mindset as a defense attorney that you sit there and say, Hey, we just got to try to lessen the attempted murder charge. I mean, you got to try to lessen the attempted murder charge. It, it, and he's got so many counts because they're duplicated, right? Cause of, and, of the three people in the car. Exactly. So you're shooting at a car. You're you, you just bought all three people, right? So you bought three counts, you know, right, right, right on the outset, right? Um, carrying a loaded firearm with intent to commit a felony. Um, I, I always love that one, and it's it's so duplicative of everything else, right? I mean, yeah, I committed a felony. Now you're gonna charge me for having a gun for the the felony charges all stem from this gun, and now you're gonna hit me with an yeah. additional one, right? I, I never really liked that one. I never really understand how in our criminal justice system, we get away with it because it seems so duplicative. And our, I know our system doesn't necessarily love uh, things being duplicative, but uh, shooting at the occupied vehicle, that that's a problem, right? And, and uh, you know, here in Florida, actually, I've had a state attorney threaten to do this to me before, to, well, not to me, to my client at the time, that they would charge him with a burglary and burglary and aggravated assault because the bullet passed through the threat through the threshold. Wow. Yeah. I, I don't think it would fly, but um, yeah, they, they would try that. But um, one of the things that I saw actually, and to get away from the legal side of things, partially legal side, but to kind of keep in mind, those of you carrying a firearm out there, it, it would be very helpful, right? Cause they found two, um, uh, two casings in his car. So we know we fired his gun at least twice. Now here's the thing, they they say how many rounds the magazines for the guns that he had were, right? Correct, yeah. And, and and they may or may not know how many slugs were in the car itself, but just as a simple note, right? If you carry a gun, keep your magazine loaded to the top. And, and I'm not saying because you need all the rounds, right? But if you're ever in a situation where you have to use that gun, the question's going to be well, how many rounds did you fire, right? And, and I'm taking this from the law enforcement training. So what we would do is they would have us, they, you always have to make sure that your magazines are filled to the top, partially because we need to make sure we had plenty of ammo, just in case, you know, kind of crap hit the fan. But then also you had one in the chamber. So you always knew the amount that you had. So it was partially so that you would be well protected, but partially then so at the end, if there was a shooting, they would take the magazine and they would count the amount of bullets that were left and then they could go, okay, you fired the gun this many times. So just kind of food for thought for those of you who carry, right, to keep that in mind, like fill it the same way 
every single time. And that way, if something happens, you can go, I put this many in every single time. This is what's left. I don't know how many I shot because typically in those situations, you don't know. And that's in the statement of facts. This is mentioned. It says Morgan Hill police located and recovered a 40 caliber semi-automatic handgun in the suspect's vehicle and turned over custody of the firearm to the San Jose police department. The firearm was loaded with nine bullets and a 10 round magazine. Another magazine was located in the council, which contained three bullets in a 10 round magazine. Two spent casings, 40 caliber casings were found on the front passenger seat, which we'll leave on this. Sure. You have this line that you like to say. It's not what you know, what it's what you can prove. Exactly. So from the defense side, do you have to sit there and make the prosecution prove that they can prove that those bullets were shot from his car at that time? Yeah. So it, here's the great thing. Well, I don't know if there's any great thing for the defense on this one, but the great thing on the defense side is you don't have to prove anything. The state has to prove everything. So if the state doesn't prove it, it's done. It's over with. Right. So, yeah, we may know this, but if they can't get the evidence in. So it's just, you know, and that's a good point. We all we've seen this video, right? It's out there. It exists. Yeah. If they can't ever get it in, it doesn't matter that we know what's on that video, but we can't prove what's on that video. So can we prove that his truck rammed his car? I mean, yeah, there's probably going to be other ways to do so. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, that's generally a pretty easy one because you can match up pain and yeah. you can get kind of crazy with how you do that. But, you know, yeah, it's not what you know, it's what you can prove. Yeah. I, I that's the line about, I hear you say it every week. <laughs> of course, uh, let everyone know they can find on social media. And of course, anything else we'll mention, man? Sure. Uh, just check me out at The Law Father at, at uh, all of our social media, YouTube, uh, everything else. And check out The Law Father podcast as well. And that was my conversation with William Frankie. I appreciate him taking some time out of his day to talk to me, to give a, a legal analysis of this case. And, you know, really, Daniel, my takeaway from that case and, and listening to William talk about the legal aspect of this is Caden Velasquez is going away for a long time. Yeah, it's that's kind of what you pick up on that. And, and that's the rigged nature of the judicial system. And it, it's a system that isn't made for maybe the emotional reaction we have isn't something that's incredibly malleable and it's not something i think a lot of people myself included can really understand we can't grasp this concept that kane will be punished in such a way but you know kane did commit an action that put a lot of people in danger and it's a, just a sad story man i mean i i think kane velasquez uh, is someone that's well respected in this community. I think he has a lot of support in this community and will continue to have a lot of support in this community. It, it's just it's just such an awful situation. And it, it's something that, again, I, I just think is going to continue to get worse as the legal system goes on. You know, it, it's sad to think what this one man, the the alleged molester, kind of has done to the Cain Velasquez family. Yeah. I mean, look, it's, it, it's one of those things that, and I mentioned in the conversation, William, you got to wonder, you know, has Mark Garagos, the attorney representing Cain Velasquez, has he thrown out a plea deal out there? Maybe, you know, maybe see if he can get Cain on, on reduced one. I don't look, I don't know how you can reduce these gun charges now. Like William always says to me, he says, it's not what you know it's what you can prove. And also probably part of that is if this thing does go to trial, what can the Garagos camp get thrown out to where it cannot be presented to a jury? And, and I've said this to a lot of people, 
you know, if you're Mark Garagos, you got to convince one person on that jury. Can you get a hung jury? I think, look, I'm not a legal analyst, but I think if you're getting people from that community to be a part of that jury, even if the evidence is clear, I think you're going to find a hard time not getting at least one person to side with Cain Velasquez in the situation. I mean, this is a major news story. It's something that really taints the jury pool, you would imagine. I mean, this is a story that transcended the MMA fan. It was the front page of ESPN. You go to social media and people who don't talk about MMA are talking about this because this is just simply a human interest story. Father goes after man who molested his child. I mean, that's just something that went viral. And I think most people in the general American and world population are aware of this particular news story that certainly taints the jury pool. And it's hard to imagine that the people setting in on that trial have not heard about this story heading into it. So that would be interesting. And that would maybe represent Cain Velasquez's best chance at not facing significant jail time. And, and, and I guess that's where that goes along. But yeah, we're in a situation where we do an MMA podcast and we're having to talk about this and it's just crazy it's like we are ill-equipped to talk about this topic but it's a necessary topic because again it it features literally one of the all-time great fighters in this sport but it's just one of the stories that's going to stick with us forever it really will i mean this is just a it's, it's a heartbreaking heartbreaking story it's one of those stories that's why I had to go to a lawyer to kind of break this one down. And, you know, because obviously there is a, the way the MMA community feels about it. We all know what that is. So I wanted to get the legal analysis. So uh, there, there's with that, uh, and, you know, and uh, this is my final thought on this before we move over to, to what happened at UFC 272. I, you know, you look at a week ago Friday when the uh, you know alleged mol- child molester that is involved in this was let out uh, on on bail what happened between that point and monday afternoon when caden chased him for 11 miles i think that's the that's the part of this story we just don't know about right now is there something that transpired that we just don't know about at this time Yeah, when you talk about proving stuff and evidence, there's a lot of evidence out there that already is incriminating for Cain Velasquez. Just stone cold stuff, videotapes that you can't argue. But you begin to look at that thing you pointed out, the unknown, and you wonder if you shine a light there, if that changes the perception. I mean, think of how much the perception of this story has changed from the get-go, from the initial reports when there was very little information that Cain Velasquez was involved in a shooting and somebody was apprehended. The, the story has shifted so much, and it wouldn't be shocking if it continues to do so. I mean, this is an incredibly fluid situation, and I think it will be like that, not for the next few days, but for the next few months, maybe the next couple of years. Now, of course, to get into what we are seeing inside competition last Saturday, UFC 272. Uh, I did not watch this one live. Took my nieces over to Universal Studios in Orlando. Had a great time over there. Nice little weekend getaway. I will tell you, Daniel. I uh, so I went to bed Saturday night. I don't know. It was like ten o'clock at night, something like that. After we got got back after having dinner, and 
I was I was sitting there thinking, am I going to wake up to like a just a massive amount of text messages, uh, a bunch of pop ups where Jorge Masvidal just went out there and KO'd Colby Covington. But of course, we know that's not the case. Just a, a one sided uh, fight there. Colby Covington. Once again, I mean, you know, I, I heard someone else say this today and they were talking about relating Conor McGregor to Colby Covington in a way of so much of the narrative about Connor and Colby is not about their actual fighting abilities. It's more about what they do outside of competition. Obviously there's, there's so many things you can talk about Connor McGregor, but in terms of Colby Covington, the one thing is, is when you, you know, there's a, a lot of narrative of, of how Colby promotes himself. But the fact is this guy's the number two welterweight in the world. And if we lived in a world where Kamar Usman was not in the UFC, this guy is a UFC welterweight champion. And while he has, it's kind of crazy. The fact of the uh, small number of current top 10 welterweights that he has faced, you know, it's Kamaru, it's Kamaru Usman and it's Ore Mazadol. But this guy is, his abilities are on point, the cardio, what he does. But let me just ask you this. Myself and Pete Rogers had a, a good uh, debate on this last week on Osimo, as I started to call him the president of the Hamzat Shemaya fan club. He is a believer. Hamza Chamaev is the number two welterweight in the world right now. Okay. I, I like look. Uh, I can't. I I can't buy that. I, he doesn't have the resume for it right now. Talent wise, I, I correlate to like Kayla Harrison. Kayla Harrison may be the most talented female fighter in the world, but she doesn't have the resume to back up that claim. Now look. A month from now, Hamzat Shemaev may go out there and destroy Gilbert Burns at UFC 273, and we think he is. But I'll say this. Like, I know Colby Covington's calling out Dustin Poirier, but man, there's a lot of intriguing matchups for Colby Covington at 170 pounds. Hamzat Shemaev is clearly one of them. Gilbert Burns is clearly another one of them. I'll give you a name down the road that could be interesting. Colby Covington versus Sean Brady. That's a that's a very interesting fight for him. Like I want to see what those two do inside the cage, and that could be something we see in a year and a half. But we both know that's not a fight we're going to see because Colby is like a Conor McGregor Jr. In that at this point, it's all about headlining pay per views. Him and Conor are two fighters who can headline pay per views without a championship attached to their name. You know, Covington has done a great job of building up these fights, and I think that's what he's going for. I think, you know, Chimaev beats Gilbert Burns. I mean, he's probably going to get a title shot, but if he doesn't get a title shot, the Covington fight, man, that makes a lot of sense. And it's an opportunity to really build Hamza into just a supernova. But, yeah, Sean Brady, you know, if he continues to win, continues to build his name up. Colby Covington has the type of name value that he's going to elevate these fellow welterweights to the next level. But it's like it takes two to tango, right? And so Colby's going to want to take that matchup, and he's only going to be looking at guys like Dustin Poirier where he can maybe sell that fight. And, and it's a big name and it's a winnable fight for him because he's the much bigger. He, well, he is, I would assume he's a much bigger guy. I haven't looked at their statistics, but I, I would think so. So I, I, I do think it's likely we get Colby versus Dustin. 
uh, it would be a tough fight for Poirier to take, and I'm sure the people in his camp will suggest him not take it. But it's definitely a fight where it makes a lot of sense to headline a show with that. You can certainly go about doing so. But in terms of Chimaev and where he ranks, he's got to be behind Colby because I think Colby is unequivocally the number two uh, 170 pounder in the world. I mean, when you look at this fight, he completely eliminated Jorge Masvidal, who's a very good fighter. This was all of Colby's wrestling. And yes, Colby did get hurt in round four. And yes, round one had some moments. But two, three, and five was dominance out of Kobe Cummington. And I just think at this point, his wrestling and his stand-up is, is at an incredibly high level. I mean, I would love to see him in the cage of Leon Edwards. That would be a fight where I would like to see it. But for Covington, Jason, he's just looking for big money fights, even though apparently he's not getting pay-per-view points for these non-title fights. Yeah, that was a odd thing to come out last week, which I was kind of like, man, why would you not want to pay review points for this fight? Especially when Jorge Masvidal has proven to be, you know, a million pay-per-view type seller. I mean, you look at this, and I'm in agreement with you. I think if Hamza Chimaev goes out there and makes a statement next month against Gilbert Burns, he will get the next title shot. I, I'm, I mean. I wonder if this is just too fast for him, but like you mentioned about Leon Edwards, I just had, I just had to check his topology. Doesn't have a fight book. You, you've got Luke and, and Muhammad. Jorge Masvidal, I mean, look, I just think it's a, his fighting style. It's just, there's just so many bad matchups for him at the top of this division when you talk about the grapplers here. But, you know, it's like Dana White said after. I mean, Colby Covington keeps winning. There's going to be a third fight between him and Kamaru Usman. And, God, Kamaru Usman, can we stop talking this fancy talk of youth boxing Canelo? Bro, it ain't going to happen. Yeah, that's not a good idea, and it's not going to happen. Uh that would be a bad matchup for Kamaru Usman going up against probably the best boxer on the planet. Um, yeah, I mean, look, Colby Covington probably gets a championship fight after if he wins another one. Like, it's pretty simple. It's kind of because he, he he's a box office kind of guy. And because he actually skill-wise might just be number two, he, again, lost those close decisions to Usman. It makes a lot of sense. I mean, you talked about Jorge Masvidal had the most to lose here and I think you were kind of right the, the the star is starting to duel out as his career comes out but man I heard a great suggestion I kind of hate listening to the Comey event podcast before we record and the reason why is I don't want to get influenced by their podcast because they're so good but sometimes I hear stuff I just have to bring it up on the podcast and it's one of those things where I'm like damn I, I should have thought of it but Chad Dundas said what about Masvidal versus McGregor and Yes, you know, that look, is, that is yeah. the fight to make, even though, Daniel, if you told me I had to make a bet, yes, Conor McGregor's next it. fight is versus Jorge Masvidal, or his next fight is for the UFC lightweight title, I'm putting my money that it's for the UFC lightweight title because you hear the way Dana White's talking, bro. Come on, how do you not walk away from these comments going... Son of a, he is going to get another title fight off a loss, off a loss. Yes. As you mentioned, yeah. what was it last week? The guy's only, what, what, one MMA fight since 2016? 
Yes, half a decade, Jason. Over half a decade, he's won one professional fight. It's insane. But like you, if I had to bet money on it, I would put money on him getting the championship fight. Why? I don't know, because I've been an MMA fan for like 10 years already, and I've seen how this game is played. Connor will get the championship fight. But when Chad Dundas suggested the Masvidal-McGregor fight, I was like, this is perfect. Both these guys are going to stand and trade. Both these guys are in similar parts of their career where the best days are behind them. And both these guys are going to talk some trash. And unlike Colby versus Masvidal, the fight itself will actually deliver. This fight was pretty boring. I mean, I think a lot of people bought this pay-per-view, and I think a lot of people were disappointed in this pay-per-view. I mean, look, was it cool to watch Hinata Meccano perform well in round five? And showcases toughness, sure. But damn, 50 minutes of fighting to close out that pay-per-view with not a single championship on the line, kind of drug along. I thought overall this pay-per-view was a slight thumbs down, to be honest with you. It was entertaining for me, but I just think when you look at the high standard that the UFC pay-per-view has held itself to, I would say just a slight thumbs down, even though... Like, the first three fights are pretty damn good, too. <laughs> you know, I mean, Oliveira, Kevin Holland. Holy crap, that was a good fight. But, yeah, I, I, I think at the end of the day, Connor's getting that championship opportunity. The world is awful. Uh, but here we are. I uh, was listening to the Anakin Florian podcast earlier today, and they were, they were you know, raving about what Bryce Mitchell done. But they also know, like, look, if you're Bryce Mitchell, you, you've got to go out there and finish fights. You can be dominant, but you got to finish fights. John Anna kind of said, he's like, he is, you know, I kind of think that maybe Bryce Mitchell's next fight should be a five-round main event. And I was like, you know what? I like that idea. That's going to go 25 minutes. I don't want to see that. I don't want to see that, Jason. But we have I'm so good with these three bro, round fights. Bro, we have so many UFC fight night cards. Like I know, I know, it's, it's I know, bound, but it's I just to happen. The thing is Bryce Mitchell's really good and I tell you what, he, he's done a 180 in terms of his rehabilitation of his PR from the uh, wretched interview he did on Ariel show to uh, like, I started texting. you. I was like, I'm watching these UFC embedded and I'm starting to like Bryce Mitchell. They're like featuring him on the farm. And I, I can like, I'm a, I'm a former FFA president that used to stand for future farmers of America, but now it just stands for FFA. It does not have any words attached to it. So I'm a farmer. I grew up a farmer and I'm watching Bryce Mitchell on his farm talking about how like he fights to fund his farm. I'm like, I, I dig this guy. And you listen to his post fire interview and it's just like, damn, if only I knew this guy didn't believe like some mass shootings were fake. Like I would really love this guy and I kind of like him. I just, I just hope he doesn't continue to have these outrageous things. But this, is a guy where I think his look because he looks kind of he looks kind of like dweeby-ish right? He doesn't necessarily look like your stereotypical mixed martial artist because he's 145 because you know the way he looks he's gonna catch you by surprise this guy who you underestimate comes in there against Edson Barboza a legend and he dominated the ever-living hell out of one of the most dangerous strikers in this sport's history with his grappling. Bryce Mitchell legitimately could be a star for the UFC. They've just got to, like, make sure he keeps his crazy beliefs that are, like, a little too far to himself. Why do I have a hard time envisioning you getting down and dirty on a farm? 
Man, I used to clean up cow shit, Jason. All right, I used to clean up cow poop. I, 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 I don't know, man. Like, I feel like you would, I don't know, you've got this look to you like, you know, you'd be like, hands dirty, hands dirty. Hey, man, I, I know the smell of cow fecal matter. I was, you would do this thing when you're in FFA where you show animals, you show cows. What does that mean? You have like a halter around his head and you, along with other children, just walk these large bovines, these large cows around a, 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 a like a ring, and then there's a man who or who judges or a woman who judges your animals, and it's like that cow is really sexy. That one gets first place. And uh, anyway, so when I was a child, this is the first time. This is like like I didn't need to go to sex ed class to learn about sexual education. I learned about like heat. Uh, when I was like eight years old or ten years old, I don't know how old it was. But my heifer, which is a female cow, wasn't heat, which means it just wants to hump everything. It just wants to like jump on other cows. Anyways, so I was walking my cow and it was in heat and whatnot. You know, things were coming out of its behind, and all of a sudden it tries to hump another cow, but it misses the cow. And the last thing I remember is it's two hooves were like on my shoulder blades and I just blacked out and I woke up and I obviously the cow did not land on me. I would I would have no shoulders, but I definitely got knocked down and probably knocked out. Probably my head hit the floor. But yeah, one time my this is a long way of saying one time I got humped by a heifer. Wow. Is there I, I feel like if someone had video of this, this would have been like on America's Funniest Home Videos. Or you be Instagram famous? Yeah, man, it, it, it's it's wild, bro. Like it's it's the livestock show circuit is crazy. I mean, you got these children uh, walking around these thousand pound, fifteen hundred pound animals, and when they're in heat, they're crazy. They're out here trying to make some love. But yeah, man, that uh, I I resonate with Bryce Mitchell, you know. But uh, yeah, I, I'm very much a Bryce Mitchell type of guy, minus the the you know I don't go on QAnon boards. I, I will say this: I think the UFC did an excellent job with promoting him last week. You know, it, it was interesting to see after that appearance on Ariel's show. You know, they they did a great job of promoting him. And look, he went out there, did a great job. I mean, Edson Barboza, man, I, I don't know where he goes from here at this point. Um, you know, I kind of feel like he's in a position, kind of like. Jorge Mazal in a way it's just you just got to find him the right matchups don't find someone that's going to try to wrestle and grapple him to death uh, in that fight uh, you know other notes this card for me Greg Hardy uh, another loss for him got to imagine uh, the, re- the reports are that this was his last fight on his UFC contract I can't see the UFC bringing him back it's got to be over for him uh, Jalen Turner uh, second round finish there uh, I will say this by the way I thought the, the best photo of the night was the Kevin Hall with one second left in the first round giving the thumbs up like i'm good like i thought that was that was a great photo there uh you know and uh you know also got to give uh maria moreau some uh her roses for what she was able to do yeah that was a that was a, a grudge fight to say the least between those two and it's nice to see things kind of turned for the better, I guess, after that fight. And then Rose is dominant. And obviously, she's from Ukraine. So you got to think her heart is heavy, obviously, as is the whole world's heart. I, I think when, when you, I mean, man, that Kevin Holland fight was freaking awesome, dude. That was the best fight of the night. I don't know how Colby Covington and Mazidal won fight of the night, but Holland Oliveira was the fight of the night. It was back and forth, and and Holland just looked awesome. Uh, once again, at 170, Spivak is solid. Greg Hardy is probably done with the UFC. I think the other two things I would mention, I guess three things would be one, Tim Elliott should have, should have been deducted a point for grabbing the gloves of, of Ulan Bekov. That was an intentional move. 
or or maybe it shouldn't have happened, but the rule should change where if you grab somebody's gloves, you should be deducted a point because that's an intentional move. I just believe when it's an intentional illegal foul, it's much more different than a groin strike. That's just my philosophy. And uh, the two other things I would note, Umar Nurmagomedov, just a simple win over Brian Kelleher. Just simple, simple rear naked choke submission. And to do that against a guy like Kelleher, mighty impressive for Umar Nurmagomedov. And lastly, Marina Rodriguez, you know, the win over Jan wasn't super impressive in that you can make the case that Jan won rounds one and two. I think it comes down to how you score round two in that fight. But Jan is an incredibly tough fighter. And Marina's stand-up was pretty good in round three and solid in round two. And I think she's on the verge of a women's strawweight championship fight. Yeah, of course, that is UFC 272. Of course, we got another busy weekend in MMA on Friday. You got the UFC car. We'll talk about that a little bit later. Uh, of course, on Saturday, you got Bellator and UFC. Before we get into these cards, going to play you a trio of interviews that I did for Bellator's coverage this week the on the AmeriReport.com. Up first, you're going to hear the conversation that I had with Mads Burnell. He'll be in the main event of Bellator 276 as he'll be taking on Adam Borax. Then you're going to hear the conversation I had with Johnny Eblen as He's taking on John Salter in a key middleweight matchup. Then the final conversation here is with Romario Cotton, who takes on Freddie Sandoval here on Saturday, Bellator 276. Joining me now here on the MMA Report is a man's going to be the main event of Bellator 276, number one title eliminatory fire contender fight. However you want to phrase it, the man that uh, winner's going to get a title shot, Mads Brunel. Mads, appreciate the time. Uh, so last time we saw you was back in July. So, man, what has been going on since the end of July with you, man? Uh, yeah, I've been home in Denmark, a little vacation in Greece, and then I've just been out here training in Vegas. In terms of vacation, was uh, was Greece kind of a, a bucket list item for you, or just is that just a place no, you love no, to go? No. I've been there many times. You know, like keep in mind, I live in Denmark, so it's not that far from Denmark. So I've been there many times before. I just like to go there. You know, the weather's always good, and it's cool. Of course, training there in Las Vegas makes me think of what, what's the biggest cultural differences from living in Denmark as opposed to living in Vegas? Hmm, it's a good question because I always tell people over here that Denmark is kind of little America in the way that we have stolen so much of the American culture, like TV shows, music, games, like the way people dress up, like... Yeah, the restaurants like yeah, I I don't think there's there's that much of a cultural difference, other than I feel Americans is more like kind of go getters. Okay. Than the Danes, yeah, the Danes is more happy to just settle for whatever, right? Where I feel like the Amer- Americans like more like go getters, dream chasers, which I respect. Now, is there a food item that you miss from Denmark that you wish you had in Vegas? No, not really. It's more like uh, I, I wish I was in Vegas and I didn't have to make weight. That's mostly <laughs> what I kind of don't like. But, you know, March 13th, I'm going to be 205 pounds again. Nah. <laughs> One of the things you said after your last fight uh, against Emmanuel, and you mentioned about that, you got to fight smart. What does that mean to you? That means that a lot of guys... When they go in and fight, every punch they throw is like 
what do you call it? Uh, it's like they only trying to hit home runs. And like, if they get jabbed once in their face, they're like, ah, oh, gotta get him back. Like, you know what I mean? Instead of just be smart, fight methodical, fight strategic, like don't fight with your nuts, fight with your brain. So if we were going to use a baseball term, you like to throw some singles and doubles, not always going for that haymaker, home run, yes. grand slam. Set it up. Set it up. Be smart. As, as you think about Adam Borks, is that part of your thought process of, of that he he's a home run hitter? I don't know. Like, uh, I think he's like kind of a sniper. I said that in, in an interview as well. Like, I think he's more of a sniper. He likes to keep his distance and like throw fast jabs, fast low kicks, and then try to set up that flying knee. So I don't like in terms of like who I just fought and then Adam, like they couldn't be more different because like, Emmanuel, he was like AK-47 just coming at you, like throwing 200 punches every 10 seconds. <laughs> Where Adam is kind of like the opposite, it, like keeping his distance, staying behind his jab, trying to pick people apart a little bit. How, how do you think the five-round aspect of this changes the fight? It, or does it not change it at all in your mind? Mm, I don't know if it changes anything. I just like that it's five rounds because it's more time to work. See, some guys would say they prefer rather be three rounds, but for you, you're, you, you're opposite. Is it just that more of like, hey, man, it it just gives me that additional 10 minutes to kind of, you know, piece them apart yeah. to ultimately get the win? Yeah, I like five rounds. You mentioned about uh, the flying knee, so I'm guessing a lot of your teammates have been throwing you flying knees uh, at every corner to, to get you ready for that? Yeah, you know, trying to emulate him a little bit. I'm, I'm not thinking like when I go into camp, I'm not trying to be like, Oh, he does this and that. I need partners that do exactly what he does. When I go into camp, I'm always thinking like, if I was fighting myself, I would be like, fuck that. So I'm always just trying to like, just do me. In terms of his overall MMA game. And I guess we, we, when everyone thinks of Adam, they think of his striking. No, no one is thinking of Adam because of what he can do on the ground. But from what you have seen of his ground aspect, is there anything that sticks out to you? No. Do you think it's a? But there's not anything that sticks out to me in his stand-up game either. Okay. He's but and that is not said in a disrespectful way. That is like uh, that is meant like he's pretty basic. Jab, cross, pretty like a. Pretty like European in this approach. Do you feel like one of your biggest advantages is ultimately just the threat of grappling? Where you may not necessarily have to go for it, but you can throw these feints out there that you're going to get him to react to a lot of things because that is going to be in the back of his mind of like, oh crap, I know he's going to try to take me down at some point. Yeah, but he don't know that. But yeah, he would probably think that. But uh, yeah, that's why I always tell people like, grappling is like wrestling grappling is boxing and boxing is grappling because if you if you look at like uh, I always come up with with this example if you look at Khabib and Connor right if they just were boxing everybody would probably say like Connor is a better striker right mm-hmm. yeah but when they do MMA he's not because he's scared of the threat of the takedown so he can't like he can't get too close to Khabib because then Khabib will get his hands on him and can take him down. Khabib does not give two shits about get, being taken down. So he can just walk people people forward and like swing as he wants. 
and don't really care because if they take him down, they're doing him a favor. So do, do you understand yeah, what yeah. I'm, what I'm, yeah. Yeah. How do you see the, this victory coming? Just going in and doing me. Like I always say this and I, and I think reporters is tired of that shit, but like <laughs> when I say, I never predict or expect anything. I just go in and do me and that's it. Is that one of those things of like, like, you talked to a lot of fires and I'll say that like there becomes this point in your career where you just realize like I am overanalyzing my opponent. I'm, I'm thinking way too much about how they're going to attack me, whatnot. And, and was there that point in your career where maybe you felt like you weren't thinking like, Hey, this is what I need to do. You were thinking way too much about your opponent's abilities. Uh, no, I wouldn't really say that, but I, I've been in a point in my career where you think too much about results. Of course, you always want the greatest result. But if you think about result, result, result all the time, you're going to go in there and you're going to freeze. And you can't do that. You just got to go in and control what you can control. I can control my performance. That's what I can control. I cannot control whatever happens in there. Like, we've seen this multiple times. You could be running this show, like, fucking 14 minutes, and then he slaps you in the face with, like, two seconds left, and you lose. But, hey, did you put on a good performance? Yes. Okay. On to the next one. It's all about performing to your ability. That's it. Of course, the, the, I know when I perform to my ability, it's going to be a good night. And the storyline going this fight is winners getting a title matchup. You get the winner uh, of uh, McKee and Pitbull. Is there part of you that roots for McKee because then you fear if Pitbull wins, they'll go straight to the trilogy matchup? I haven't really thought about that, uh, but... <laughs> Everything happens for a reason. So if AJ wins, good. If Pitbull wins, good. Like, it is what it is. I'm just focusing on this. I mean, you got to beat them all if you want to be the champ anyway. Do you ultimately feel like at the end of the day, you're going to meet both these guys in the cage at some point? Mm, I don't know because how old is Pitbull now? So I don't know. I don't know how much longer he's going to, he's going to, continue and AJ have been talking a lot about moving up so actually I don't know who do you who do you see winning that rematch I see AJ winning again I feel like that's going to I feel like that's going to be the uh, the majority of people in there but uh, we have to wait and see of course we see your fight come up here main event Bellator 276 live on Showtime Mads Uh, appreciate time and uh, look forward to seeing the fight man thank you man have a great day Joining me now here on the MMA Report is a man we're going to see a part of Bellator 256 live on Showtime, Johnny Eblen. Johnny, it's always appreciate time. See, you're enjoying that nice Florida sun. I, I saw uh, on Instagram a little earlier, you're out to, uh, doing a little little time on the beach. Uh, end of, uh, you kind of noted, you know, kind of the end of the, the hard training for this one. I mean, like, how do you describe the mentality for this training camp? Really just going in and getting better every day and, and, and slowly, uh, you know, not adjusting my style, but, uh, slowly like perfecting my style. And, uh, especially for this camp, uh, definitely playing around with, you know, a lot of takedown defense, a lot of, uh, defensive grappling and, and, and keeping things on the feet and, and really like letting my hands and my, uh, striking shine. So, so what you're saying is you're expecting John to, you know, utilize jujitsu. Is that what you're saying? Thousand percent. <laughs> yeah. I think, I think everyone knows that. <laughs> that guy is, 1000% going to shoot on me. Like, like if there's like a line on that, it's, it's, it's through the roof. I think everyone would be shocked if he doesn't try to get this one to the ground. 
Of course, it's it's just the 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 guy he is. He he's a he's a grappler. Um, his best chance to get me out of the fight is on the ground, and even if he gets me on the ground, I really don't like his chances either way. I mean, obviously, this is a massive fight for you because obviously, with with Gay Guard's win last week, it now it's. A, I think a lot of people are looking at this fight, saying, you know what. This potentially could be a number one contenders fight. You know, Anatoly Tokov is another one that, that's potentially out there, but not just because it's, that's on the line. You go back to your well, also Fabian, Fabian's fighting Leoto. Yeah, but also it's huge because you're going back to Missouri. Like as you think about that, like if you're going to rank, kind of where 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 does being back home fighting Missouri rank as opposed to potentially you could be fighting for a title shot. Yeah, it's it's awesome. Um, I'm just I'm just happy to to be getting a fight this early this year after fighting in uh, December, and the fact that it's in Missouri, and the fact that it might be a number one contender fight. Um, well, I think it is going to be a number one contender fight because if uh, when I beat John, I will be the number one contender. But you know how that all plays out. Maybe they they think someone else is more deserving. I really don't care. I'm just I just want to fight three times this year, and I just want to have fun. Um, I know I'm going to get that title. Uh, a title bell around my waist by the end of this year, whether it's my next fight after this one or the one after it, I don't really care, but I'm just going to take the right steps and, and, and just keep winning. In terms of going back to Missouri, you know, obviously fighting in front of you're fighting in front of a bunch of your, your friends and, and family there. Uh, there there's pros and, and, and cons of that. You know, I mean, guys will talk about that. You know, sometimes you might rather you know fight somewhere else. But like as you look at the pauses of fighting in front of your hometown, you know, home state, what, what's what jumps out to you? Um, I guess there's a little bit more excitement, a little bit more, uh, more stimuli in a good, in a, in a good sense. Uh, obviously there can be a lot of distractions, but I'm really good at like toning those out and, and not really paying attention to those. But, uh, I can only take positive positives away from uh, fighting in Missouri. Like my family's going to be able to come watch me. I'm going to have friends be able to come watch me. And after the fight, it's going to be exci- exciting to go out and, and see my fans and, and kind of hang out a little bit and, and uh, you know, it'll be great. And I can't wait when you're fighting a specialist. And I think that's what we would all call John. He's a specialist. Yeah. Does that, how does that affect your day-to-day training? It doesn't really affect it too much. I just kind of know like I, every day I'm focused on myself and getting my skill sets better, regardless of the fighter I'm fighting. But I'm going to have to have a little bit of a game plan and be like, okay, maybe I need to work a little bit more on this or a little bit more on this. But my whole aspect of my game still stays the same. If that makes any sense. Is it one of those ways that do you all feel like that maybe people are uh, not giving you the proper kudos for what you can do on the ground because of, of, of taking on someone that is just so well known for, for his grappling? Um. Yeah, and I guess I don't really sh- I don't really showcase too much grappling in my fights because I can punch them, dude. Like <laughs> it's like why would I grapple you if I can punch you in the face? Like I can grapple. Like I I, I work I play around with leg locks. I play around with uh, I, I I love jujitsu. Jujitsu is fun. I've been playing around with it since I've gotten into MMA. I've kind of steered clear a little bit from wrestling. Um, wrestling can be a little bit harder on the body, I think. But yeah, I I think I have a pretty damn good grappling game. I just don't really have to showcase it very much when I can take people down, punch them in the face, let them up and knock people out of my feet. Like, and who, who knows? Maybe in this fight, my, my grappling show, uh, uh, you know, 
is, is showcased and I, I submit Salter or I take his back and I out grapple him. Like, I don't, I, I, I don't like, I really think I could out grapple him if I wanted to, but I'm not going to, cause that's his, that's his world. So yeah. yeah. It, it like makes me think like, is there a part of you that goes, I want to beat him at what he does best. Like, yeah. like, like it's a John, a John Jones had a mentality of like, he said, yeah. you know, you'd be like, I know I could beat you this way, this way, but I want to beat you at what you do best. Yeah. And I, I kind of think that's cool. Like maybe when I'm in the fight and, and, uh, I get a feel for his grappling and I'm like, okay, yeah, I think I could submit this dude. Maybe I'll make that uh decision in the fight. But as of now, I'm going to stick to my game plan. Um, easiest path, path to victory, um, sprawl and brawl. Um, but yeah, who knows? Maybe I make a game time decision, you know, during the fight. Yeah, I remember talking to a fire one time where they had said that going into their fight, their mentality was, I'm going to keep this thing on the feet. I'm just going to pick them apart, pick them apart. And they said, they, I got in there and all of a sudden I just realized how much of a strength advantage I had. And like, I could ragdoll the dude. And he goes, yeah. my game plan completely changed that moment. Is that kind of a, a similar uh, of your overall thought process of like, you know, I yeah. go, I go in there with a the mindset, but all of a sudden there might be one thing that just all of a sudden it, it's like, I've got to do a, a flip on the game plan because there's something that I didn't expect has actually happened. Yeah, 100. Um, you can go in with uh, the mentality that something's going to play out, but it usually in that scenario it doesn't play out, or things are a little bit different, and you made a miscalculation. Um, it's it's being able to change on the fly and being comfortable with it, which is important. Um, I feel like some people when they go in, it's like, oh shit, this is not what I signed up for. This is not what I thought it was going to be, and they just break down. Um, you know, that's, that's no good. You got to have some uh, mental resilience and, and be able to, you know, change things on a fly and, and not be affected by it. And I think I'm one of those dudes. I've actually had that happen to a fight. Uh, I think I want to say when I fought Taylor Johnson, I thought, uh, I thought I'd be fine on the field with, with that guy. And for the most part I was, but he was just very aggressive and he had a, he had a mean ass, uh, he had some power and I was like, man, I started grappling him. I was like, Oh shit, I can ragdoll this dude grappling. I was like, okay, I'll just grapple this dude today. Um, also my striking's come a long way since then. Uh, my, my, my range, uh, being able to judge range has gotten better. Um, all around I've gotten better since then, but that's a, that's a good example of me thinking, Oh, I'm going to go in this fight. This guy's a wrestler. He's probably going to want to grapple me. I'll probably be able to outstrike him but he had a better uh, sense of the range in the fight. And he actually landed, he actually landed a good shot on me that kind of uh, rocked me. I remember in the second and that kind of changed my mind about what I needed to do that fight. So I started implementing my grappling and wrestling and uh, ended up coming out with a win. Is that the hardest time you've been rocked in a fight? Uh, I don't know. No, I mean, getting rocked isn't that bad. Like, Mm -hmm. Kind of get hit and you're like, what the fuck just happened? And then you're just like, and then you're like, you're just still there. You know what I mean? Um, I feel like I've been rocked harder in sparring, to be honest. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, or maybe it's because of the adrenaline in fight. Maybe it makes it seem less bad. Mm-hmm. Um, but I've been, I've been rocked a couple of times in fights. And uh, I don't know. I, I feel like I just go off instincts and I don't really like it's, it's, it's never really bad. Quote unquote. I feel like mm-hmm. it's worse in training, if anything. You know, in terms of that, that adrenaline dump, like, is it, does that adrenaline start even before you walk to the cage or is it not till, or is it not till the referee says, let's go? 
Yeah, I really don't get an adrenaline dump anymore. Like, uh, usually adrenaline dumps, like, when they go in the first round and they fucking blah, and then, like, the rest of the fight, they're just, like, barely hanging on. I have amazing cardio. And uh, being able to control, like, I guess my, uh, not my alertness, my, uh, what's the word? Um, I'm blanking here. When you get excited, I get, like, I, I don't get, I don't get super excited. Like um, ma- managing your emotions. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I manage my emotions and, uh, you know, just kind of, kind of go in calm, cool and collected, but you know, just a little bit nervous cause you, you have to be on point with it. Uh, you know, when, when you're in the cage with another killer, that's trying to take your head off, um, and make sure your defense is on point and, um, uh, and, and so on and so forth. But, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm really good at like staying calm before my fights and, and, and just like, you know, obviously there's a little bit of nerves, a little bit of uncertainty. Um, but that kind of all goes away once I'm in there and then I'm just in my place and having a good time. In terms of your keys of victory, where does being patient stand up in there in those keys? You think about how the, oh. how you expect this fight to go down. I think being patient is probably the, the biggest key. Mm-hmm. Um, just got to stay patient and stick to my game plan. And then if I, if I need to change my game plan, be patient with the new game plan that I have to uh, take on and don't get, uh, you know, don't get lost. Don't get lost in the sauce out there. You know what I mean? Don't be like, Oh, I don't know what to do. And then you're just reacting and just, you, you know, everything's going out the door. Um, my plan is just to be patient with my game plan. If things change, change the game plan and stay patient with that. Just be persistent in my pursuit. You said something there, sauce, which made me think of St. Louis barbecue. Made me think yeah. it is uh, that Sunday is, Saint, is, is some St. Louis barbecue on the agenda. Oh, Kansas, Kansas city barbecue, but baby, Kansas city. Okay. All right. I'm from Kansas city, not St. Louis. I love St. Louis, but Kansas city is my actual hometown. But, um, no, like, I, it's not like I hate St. Louis or anything. I actually hate Kansas, but, um, <laughs> the state of Kansas kind of sucks, but, um, I actually like uh, Kansas City Barbecue Gates uh, specifically. There's actually another place out there. There's a couple other places out in KC that I go to when I'm when I go back home. It is like is the barbecue the thing you miss about uh, back home? No, the barbecue down in South Florida is pretty damn good. I can't complain. Mm-hmm. So it's not the biggest thing. Actually, I don't miss I don't miss Missouri that much, man. Florida's pretty awesome. <laughs> you can't, the weather's <laughs> great. Food's great. It's like there's the ocean. Man, I, I, I have a great gym to train at. I have a house here. I have a house with a pool. It's, it's nice. Trust me, I've, I've been here all my life. There's a reason. There's a re- like, I'm not built for cold weather, so I, I couldn't do it. I'm just yeah. not built for that. I'm I built. Get, I get bored of it after a week. So. <laughs> I get bored after about two days. I'm like, okay, we didn't get that eight degree weather back here in Florida. Let's get let's get back to regular life here, but but Johnny, man, it's always man. I appreciate time. Look forward to seeing the fight uh, here, Bellator two seventy six six, and of course, everyone can watch it live on Showtime. Good luck in the fight, man. Thank you, man. Joining me now here on the MMA Report is a man we're going to see back inside the Bellator cage here, Bellator two seventy six, for the first time in fifteen months. Romero guy, like when you hear that 15 months, of course, you know, unfortunately you you had to pull out of the fight back in January, but as you think about these last 15 months, since the last time you stepped in that cage, like how do you describe it? Man, we had, we had a bunch of shit happen. We had a bunch of stuff happen. We had a, you know, we had a few injuries, uh, the COVID stuff, you know, that, that, 
that screwed up a bunch of stuff. But I mean, yeah, it's, that's, that's fucking crazy. But you know, I'm glad time is fucking came. Time has came. Time to get back in there. So you know, just looking forward to it, man. Uh, you know, and you know, one of the things of uh, literally about. 20 minutes before we were out talk, I hit a Bellator PR. I'm like, hey, does Romero got a new opponent? And they're like, how did you know? I was like, oh, I just found it by searching Google. And the crazy thing about this opponent change, and I'm looking at the guy's topology, and that's Freddie Sandoval. He hasn't fought since 2009. So, like, how do you prepare for a fight when a guy hasn't fought in over a decade? You got to do what you do, man. Like, we were, we were talking about that. It's like, there's one or two things happen. It's either, I mean, for him, it's a hell of an opportunity. For me, it's put a lot of pressure on there. We get, we got to make it happen. So, uh, we can't, uh, you know, we can't look past them. We can't underestimate them. We got to go out there and do our job and uh, make sure we keep our job. You know what I'm saying? And uh, can't let him use it as an opportunity for him to, you know, further his career. I'm sure it's a big opportunity for him. It's a Rocky Balboa moment for him, you know? And so like, I, I, I definitely can't let him have a Rocky moment. We got to just go out there and, and make it look like I had a camp and he didn't. So I was, uh, I was searching some older articles on you and I found this quote on MMA weekly prior to your last fight where uh, you said, I've got to be myself. I've grown a lot as a fighter and a competitor. I've got to do my thing. I've got to go out there and be mean. Which made me think, what does be mean mean to you inside competition? Be mean? Yeah, be mean. Uh, mean. You know, in terms of being, I guess, mean, nasty, like... But is, is it like yeah, you just got to flip a switch or something? Like, to, to you know, it's... Got to flip that switch. There's no compassion. You know what I'm saying? Can't humanize them. Uh, just out there, you know, got to see them as a, as, a, as a blank slate. And, and I'm already to go out there and do whatever I want to do with it, so... Uh, I mean, there's no compassion, no mercy. We we can't we can't be out here, you know, thinking about our, you know, what thinking about his tomorrow. You know what I'm saying? Not at all. So that's what I mean by being mean and just being nasty, just you know, just imposing my will. Is that a mentality you had back in in your wrestling days, or is that a mentality that came to you when you, when you made that transition to mixed martial arts? I mean, we've had this mentality since we were about eight years old, so. <laughs> You know, stepping in that wrestling room, it's either you either a hammer or a nail every day. No one's gonna allow you to, to uh, you know, to, to. There's not very many soft guys that make it year in and year out of, of the wrestling rooms that I came from. So, uh, I, I came into this sport with that whole mentality, as far as uh, either the hammer or the nail, and, and I'm always a hammer. It's been now five plus, you know, coming up on five years that you've been in this MMA game. As you think about how you've grown a, a, as a martial artist, like, what do you see in the difference in yourself, even over, say, the last year? Man, it's it, it, five years, it, it, it seems like it's been a year. It seems like it's been a year. It seems like everything is, is coming along really fast, and then at the same time, it's coming along really slow. So, I mean, the things that you, that you want to improve on, it seems like it's taking some time. But, but you're making gains. You're making gains. You're always thriving as long as you're coming in the practice room twice a day. You know what I'm saying? You're going to be making them improvements whether you feel it or not. So, I mean, uh, I feel like I've came a long way. I feel like I've came a, a shit as far as fuck from, from at least just the last fight as far as that's what I'm feeling. That's what my practice partners are telling me. So, uh, just putting in that work, I'm, I'm hoping that I, I've, came, I've came further than, I, than, than the last time you guys seen me. 
Is there something your practice partners have said to you that has just really stuck with you about their, you know, maybe they're like, hey, Romario, you know, this transition, that this transition, we're really seeing the difference. You Is there something that they've all kind of said about how they see the evolution of your game? No, I mean, we, we, we just bang it out and, and, and we, we crack the jokes and stuff. So, so we, you would never really know if, if, if you're doing something good or not because they're probably going to crack a joke and tell you you're, you're trash. So it's like, it's all right. But, uh, Okay, that makes me think. Are you a trash talker in the training room, or do people trash talk you? Does that fuel you in the tra- in the training room? Oh uh, yeah, no, we have a good time, man. We have a good time over here at AK, bro. It's it's a, it's a hard working environment. You're coming in. You're gonna you're gonna get pushed every day. It's, you're gonna you're gonna get out of there with those nick and bruise every day. But I mean, the jokes are the jokes are crazy too. You know what I'm saying? We get there's a lot of comedy going on in there. And then we got the we got the we got the global comedy, you know, got guys from everywhere in there. So it's it's, it's fun. It's a fun, it's a fun atmosphere to be in. It's hard. It's hard. You're gonna you, you got better better come with your shit on scrap days. You better be ready on grappling days. Something's gonna choke you out. But I mean, you're also gonna get a few jokes in there too. So it's all gonna be good. You mentioned earlier for your opponent, this is a, a Rocky Balboa type situation, and and, and I feel like. There's always been kind of a target on you, though. You know, since you came into MMA, it was like, hey, this is a, a, a wrestler coming in MMA. Everyone, you know, talked about the ceiling for you. But in terms of your goals with this fight, obviously getting the win is the ultimate goal. Is there is there something else that maybe you want to prove to yourself in this fight? No, I don't have nothing to prove to myself, man. I, I, I just know that I, I put the work in. I go in. I work hard. I, I come out. I show up. And uh, I, know, I know that... Uh, Throughout most of my life, whenever I do that, things come out my way. So, I mean, as far as this fight, I just want to come out and make a statement showing that I'm still here and that I'm going up here for the, you know, I'm, I'm striving for the belt. Yeah, I'm not here just to to, to sit around and, I'm, you know, be a top 10 guy or whatever. That's cool. You know what I'm saying? I'm sure I'm sure a lot of guys would love just to be at that level and, and would love to uh to accomplish that. But I, I'm here for the belt. I'm here to I'm here to win a championship. I've always I've always whatever whatever division whatever league whatever anything I, that i'm in i start at the bottom and by the time i leave there i'm always leaving at the champ or at top uh, on the top so cream mars rise to the top you know I've never, since you've come to MMA, I've never taken you as a type of guy that, that calls out someone, but are, are we starting to get to that point that you feel like where you're ranked at wise that, you know, may, maybe we're going to start seeing some more call outs from you. Oh yeah, for sure. I'm sure. Cause I mean, you got to start, you got to choose your own career, man. People call me out all day and that, and that's cool. That means I'm relevant. That means that, uh, you know, that means they want to be where I'm at. And so that, that's good. As long as people are still doing that and calling me out, that's good, but it's about time for me to start making my own moves. And, and yeah, I got to, like I said, I want that belt. So, I mean, you got to start calling for it. You don't take that personal when someone calls you out? That, that's not that's not a thing you're like, man, does that dude really think he can beat me? Oh, man. I mean, it's, it's part of it, man. They got to try to do, you know. But if no one's talking about you, I mean, I mean, it ain't shit. You ain't really doing your job. So, it's like, you know, people are calling you out. That means shit you're above them and they're where you want to be at. So that, that's a, that's a good thing. And, uh, you know, I, if they weren't talking about me, I'd be worried for people who maybe don't know much about you, you know, in, in terms of you as the person, is there one thing you would want the fans to, to know about you? 
Man, I don't, I don't know, bro. It's, uh, you know, I'm coming with the coming with the wrestle game. I'm coming, I'm trying to be exciting. Uh, you know, I got I got a I got a diesel little girl at home that expects me to win and expects me to come back with that paycheck so she can go to Disneyland and, and get all the Barbies and princesses and shit like that. So I mean, that's about it, man. I'm just I'm just to do it with the mean wrestle game who's out here doing it, making shit happen for his daughter, man. So that's that's about it. That makes me think. As she said, "Daddy, um, with this check, I want to go to Disneyland." Is she? Is she making a request? That's, that's, that's basically what's going on. I mean, we did we did Disney World, you know what I'm saying, last year. So in Disneyland this year, she heard there's mermaids in California. So <laughs> that's that's where we got to go after after this scrapper. And there you have my conversation with Mads Burnell, Johnny Eblin, and Romario Cotton. Obviously, uh, you look at, at Mads Burnell, Adam Borax, it has been labeled a number one contenders matchup. But as, as I said to Mads Burnell, like, hey, man, you got to kind of be rooting for AJ McKee to win that one. Because, well, if, if Patricio goes out there and, and gets his title back, he got a match that goes straight to the trilogy matchup. You know, then you look at Johnny Eblin, John Salter. You know, we'll, we'll see what's next at middleweight, uh, you know. Could you know? Could the winner of that one be next? Anatoly Tokov is another potential candidate to get in there, and then uh, Romero Cotton. Of course, he gets a, a change in opponent. His initial opponent, Lance Wright, pulls out of the fight. Freddie Sandoval steps up. Daniel, this guy hasn't fought since two thousand nine. Freddie Sandoval hasn't fought since two thousand nine. Yeah, what's his record? He is five, six, and one. I almost feel like this fight shouldn't be allowed. I actually, yeah, unless this guy has done some type of career vitalization in the in the past eleven years, I don't know about this one, Jason. I don't know about that one at all. Is is Yamauchi still fighting at one seventy? He is. is yeah, that him, one on? yeah, him and Derek Anderson still at one seventy. My understanding is that Gochi is going to be a one seventy. See, that's a that's a good fight, dude. Like that's a that's a really strong preliminary fight. And I'm very interested in that one. I mean, straight up, for me, that's like the third most interesting fight on this card, to be honest with you. Like, I feel very confident in Phil Davis winning the fight against Anglicus. Mm-hmm. I think Evelyn Salter is a great fight, and I think Bernal Barax is, is a really fun fight. But I, I think those are my one-two. But I would put Yamuchi Anderson at three personally. Look, this is a good Bellator card. I mean, like, this is kind of like you think about their, their quote-unquote temple events. Like, that would be that April card with McKee and, and Pitbull. That's like, a, you know, their, their version of what a, a UFC numbered event is. I mean, this is a, a solid fight card on Saturday night. Borax and Burnell, you know, I, you know, Winner is expected to uh, you know be next. I mean, look, this is just my perception on that fight. I think you're going to see Mads Brunel just go to the grappling route. Now, you also remember this is a 25-minute fight. All Bellator main events are now five-round fights. I, I do think you're going to see Mads Brunel go out there. I agree with you. I think Phil Davis should should be able to get a win there against Julius Anglicius. Uh The Salter-Edwin fight, to me, it, it for and Johnny Edwin, you heard him talk about there. He knows what's coming. He knows grappling is coming. I mean, I think we would all be floored if John Salter does not try to get this one to the ground. I mean, we think John Salter, you think about the jujitsu there. Uh, J.J. Wilson now up 155. See how he bounces there. Um, you know, the, the two guys I'll mention on the preliminary card that are really interesting to me. Uh, first one is Cody Law, tremendous prospect there for Bellator. The other one is Roman Feraldo coming off that highlight reel knockout that he had. Uh, he just, uh, Roman just signed a multi fight deal with Bellator. Those are two names. 
to pay attention there to in terms of, of Bellator. And then, of course, uh, also on Saturday. So Bellator will start a little, will start two hours after the UFC show starts. UFC show headlined by Tiago Santos versus Magomed Ankalaev. Ankalaev, I, I don't know if you saw this earlier today. You realize he's a five to one betting favorite in this one? No, I didn't see that at all. I didn't know he was five to one betting favorite. Holy yeah. crap, Jason. I mean, look, Ankalaev, yeah, hell? looking at DraftKings Sportsbook, he is minus 510. Uh, the best number, as I look at, at best fight odds across the board, you can get uh, at Bet Rivers. I've never heard of that place, but uh, he's minus 480. Caesars minus 490. But Ankalaev is probably a, a, a guy that a lot of people uh, do not want to fight here. It's also kind of crazy. I mean, may, maybe it shouldn't be crazy that we're in 2022. And Marlon Moraes is a two to one betting underdog against Song Yudong. Yeah, it's crazy to think that, but you know, we also have Henan Burrell fighting on Eagle FC. So it's crazy how fast time goes, right? How how perception changes. I mean, you, you look at Santos, this guy's a little it's not it's only been like two years since he fought John Jones close. Yeah. You know? And he's this big of a dog. I would want to put money down on Santos here, but I, it's hard not to see, uh, Anka Laev possibly scoring that knockout, but man, it's been a long time. I don't really remember too many times that Santos has been put out on the feet. I'm sure he has been. I think, I think these cards are for hardcore MMA fans and like Borax and Brunel, the, the Salter Eblen fight. You look at the top two fights. These are not fights that are going to resonate with like a casual MA fan, but as a hardcore fan, it's like, how can you not get excited about Yadong and Ankalaya? Like these guys are freaking, these are legit, legit killers. I think this is one of the better fight night cards we've gotten in a while though. From, from top to bottom uh, yeah, in terms yeah. of depth. Look at the action fighters on this card too. Seriously, like look at this main card. Okay, no, uh, no. There's there's one fight, and you just mentioned. Sign me up for Alex Perea and Bruno Silva. Like to me, that has got someone's getting knocked the f out in that one. Dude, how the hell did Terrence McKinney get booked here? So McKinney is stepping up here on short notice. Got a new UFC deal with this one. Uh, Drew Dober's initial opponent uh, pulled out of this one. So uh, Terrence McKinney uh, stepping up here. And, uh, I mean, look, Terrence McKinney, I mean, this is, you know, when you talk about the UFC and in, in, in this era of the UFC, right now it's about who's available and, and who's willing to step up. You know, we saw it last week where Islam Mahachev, ultimately did not want to step up and, you know, RDA saying, yes, I accepted a fight against 170 against Islam Mahachev. Dana White even said, he's like, I went to bed. He goes, I thought we had the deal done with Mahachev. I wake up the next day to learn. He turned down the fight. You know, we, we didn't really talk about this fight. Just real quick. True or false. Rafael Dos Anjos fights for a UFC championship. One more time. False. Awesome. Okay. Uh, I'll go true. I'll go true. You're the one who thinks he's the first ballot Hall of Famer, but I, I'll go true. He looked dominant. No, 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 no. What? First off, if we're comparing who's a UFC Hall of Famer, it's one or the other. I'm picking RDA <laughs> over Jim Miller. One won a UFC title. One didn't. Who's in the record books? Who's in the record books? You know. Does longevity make you a Hall of Famer? Yes. Yes. So if you, I think so. If, if you play 20 years, you're automatically in the hall? 
Has hasn't look. Should should Udonis Haslam go into the NBA Hall of Fame? No. He should not go into the NBA Hall of Fame. Perfect. perfect of look, look, Hall. look. Yeah, I've got no problem. was much better at MMA than freaking Haslam look, was at NBA. Look, I have no problem with Jim Miller going to Hall of Fame, but if you think Jim Miller's a Hall of Famer, oh, RDA's a Hall of Famer. That's yeah, true. That's certainly true. I, I, think I would love to find the person who says Jim Miller's a Hall of Famer and RDA's not. Yeah. I mean, that might be Dan Miller. Yeah. They're, look, they'll both go in. They'll both go in at some point. Yeah. Yeah, you think uh, Khalil Roundtree is a UFC Hall of Famer? No, that's uh, I mean, but look, that that's a matchup where you have two guys that d- don't want to go to the ground. I mean, if you want to see a kickboxing fight in MMA cage, I Carl Roberson versus Khalil Roundtree Jr. is that fight. I don't expect either one of those guys to take the fight to the ground. Look, bro, MMA fans. We have a lot on our plate this weekend. We got the UFC, we got Bellator, we got Eagle FC, we got LFA, we got Invicta FC, we got the PFL Challenger Series, we got all kinds of crap. This is what you should do as an MMA fan. You should watch the main card of UFC, you should watch the two fights at Bellator, Barax and then the Salter fight, and you should just be on Twitter during Eagle FC. That is how much MMA you should intake this weekend. Here's the thing about Friday night. I feel like it's a problem when Eagle FC is the broadcast that we can get and PFL isn't. <laughs> That's true, but I mean, the Eagle FC card does have much better fighters too, but that does speak to the PFL's broadcasting. It's just uh, it's an albatross to get a hold of it. You know, you, you, I don't want to subscribe to FUBU TV. Yeah, I mean, like, you look at this EOFC card, you just talk about the names. The main event, Diego Sanchez versus Kevin Lee. Uh, UFC vet Daryl Horscher's on this card. You got Ray Borg versus Ricky Bandejas. Impa Kasaganai making his Eagle FC debut. Uh, Anthony Hamilton, a one-time UFC heavyweight, on this card. No, Sean Burrell, who's fought in Bellator, another organization. He's on this card like, you know, there's this part of me that wants to tune in for Diego Sanchez, Kevin Lee, but I'm scared what that fight may be. Dude, Diego Sanchez is plus 500. It should be illegal for Diego Sanchez to ever again, be booked in a fight where he is a plus 200 dog or more because he's just, he's received too much damage to be put in a position where he's that big of an underdog. But will I watch? Will I be aware of what's happening? Yes. At the end of the day, we have a car from UFC. We have a car from Bellator. We have a car from Eagle FC. The most famous combatant, the most famous athlete that is competing in combat sports. Well, I don't know about boxing. That is competing in MMA this weekend is on that Eagle FC card. Diego Sanchez is the biggest star fighting this weekend. When you go across all the MMA websites this weekend, I guarantee you the article with the most comments will have the name Diego Sanchez in it. I would agree with that. Yeah, I mean, you know, and it, it's just how it goes. And look, I, I think it's going to be sad. I think Kevin Lee is going to knock him out in the first round. And I don't think this fight should be happening. If Diego's going to continue to compete, he cannot be put in there where he's a plus 500 underdog, Jason. I'll be honest with you. As I look at the Eagle FC card, I think the matchup that, int- that intrigues me the most is Ray Borg, Ricky Bandejas. Yeah, Ray Borg is like, and dude, look at the odds there. Craig, yeah, Craig, 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 I'm just saying if betting was legal here in Florida, yeah. uh, I'd be laying some money on Ricky Bandejas. 
So what do you what do you think Bende has offers against Bork here? I mean, look, I, I think you you, you got to keep it on the feet. You cannot if, if the reason Ray Borg is a seven to one betting favorite is because of the grappling advantage. He has a grappling advantage, but if Ricky can keep his foot on the feet, he's got a great shot. Yeah, yeah. I am Ray Borg is like low key, like one of the MVPs of Ego FC. Like he's the one guy where I feel dignified watching these cards. But I mean, look, this card has plenty of good guys. You you already added off the names, and uh, yeah, I mean, we shall see. I mean, we're gonna have plenty to talk about next week. That's for sure. Here, if if I had to tell you this. You had to pick five fights. This is kind of a tough thing I probably should have told you before the podcast. You had to pick five fights this weekend. Five fights this weekend you need to see across the three cards. You can only watch these five fights. You can't watch anything else. Which five fights are you watching this weekend? Borax Burnell. Yeah. Bahia Silva. Okay, okay. Salter Eblin. Okay. Ooh, the final two is a tough one. God, the, the final two is kind of a tough one to me. Yeah, no, I mean, I, I probably wouldn't have picked Silva Pea. Really? I know that's going to be, well, that's going to be a baller fight. <laughs> like, I don't, <laughs> I don't that know. That may be if, the best fight of the weekend. Like, I just but don't know if just, I put any of the Eagle FC fights in my top five. Dude, the sad thing is I would probably put the Sanchez-Lee fight in there. Like, is the top five fight of the weekend? No. But do I want to watch it because I want to be a part of the water cooler conversation on Monday? Yes. <laughs> it's, it's, it's the one fight I need to watch this weekend to be, to be a host of an MMA podcast. I, I have to watch it, you know? Okay, did I, did I mention Santos on Goliath? No, you didn't. Okay, That's that would be four. My last one, number yeah. five. Pride Maurice Dong. Yeah, I think so. I think I would swap out Silva's fight with the Lee Sanchez fight, but I think we're we're in concurrence, you know. Yeah, I mean I just the thing about the Kevin Lee Diego Sanchez fight is I'm just fearing you're gonna watch something sad. Yes. And I think that's something that we thought as soon as this fight was announced. But once we get past this I guess the question now goes, this was, a, this was the fight that Eagle FC put on a few months ago. It got people talking. It's going to be, it's going to be over and done with. What is going to be the next fight that Eagle FC books that's going to generate casual fan interest? That is something I'm going to be interested in seeing where they go next. God, I hate to say it. Greg Hardy. What? Greg Hardy. Uh, yeah, I mean he's, he's even though, even though I just, I just even though I just don't know how much business Malky Kawa and uh, Ali Abdelaziz are going to do together. Probably zero. I, I think that eliminates that possibility. I mean, where do you think Greg Hardy fights next? Think you think Scott Coker would want to get in the Greg Hardy business? I don't think so. I think if there's anything, he goes a boxing route. But like. Like I Pete said something really interesting. I think, yeah, like like bare knuckle. Yeah, so bare, either regular boxing, bare knuckle boxing, but like my guy Pete said something really interesting to me, and, and I had never thought of it in this way. When you look at Greg Hardy's athletic background and just with how big he is, how is he not a better wrestler? 
Yeah. Your job yeah. was to go tackle the quarterback. Tackle mm-hmm. the running back. It, 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 I, I had never thought of it in that way, but I was like, damn, man. Yeah, man, you're right. Like, if you're a big defensive end, like, you should have amazing ground game. Yeah, when you think of kind of those those movements you make on a play-to-play basis, you would think that kind of jives with the repertoire of a grappler. But that, that's a hell of a point. I mean, I guess there's some type of intuition that you have, some type of instinct that you have as a wrestler that makes you succeed or not, or, or maybe the training just was not there from a wrestling standpoint, but I doubt so. He was in good gyms with good coaches. So uh, I got to uh, reveal a text message I got from Daniel. Uh, the other day, it just okay. said Paige Van Zant signs with AEW. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. That's uh, I I, t- I sent it to you and I saw it tweeted out and yeah. Apparently, Paige Van Zant will be for signing for AEW. It's not official until I want to say Wednesday, but like usually whenever a wrestler signs with AEW, the promotion will put out a graphic. But right now they're doing this thing where Dan Lambert says Paige Van Zandt has signed with AEW, but the owner of AEW said that he's not going to put out the graphic until they put pen to paper. So maybe it's not completely official, but it seems like Paige Van Zandt has signed with AEW. Do I think she's going to be successful at wrestling? No, I don't. Why you say that? Uh, I saw I saw her in the ring. She did a little angle with Brandy Rhodes, and she looked awful. She might do well. Who knows? At the end of the day, she's literally getting trained by some of the best wrestlers on the planet. They know how to train wrestlers. But as someone who loves wrestling, as someone who's trying to train wrestling, you either got it or you don't. I don't think Paige has got it, but I could be wrong. But we shall see. It's just that she's just holding back, and it just looks fake. And I know that's funny talking about wrestling, but yeah. The first when you sent me that text, my first thought was initially like, well, I guess does this does this mean the end of Paige Van Zant, the combat sports athlete? No, because look at Jake Hager. You know, it, it's just all I, don't the know, money I just like it. I don't know. I guess I feel like if you're going to go that route and be it become a, a a legit professional wrestler, like you're you're just not you know making appearances, whatnot. Like you're you're legit going to be a performer. I do feel like you got to be all in on that. You can't do that. Definitely. You know, you can't be half assed in on that. Certainly, but you could be half-assing your combat sports career if you're Paige Van Zandt. You can definitely be doing that because you can sell and sign big deals and fight these crappy opponents and make money. Right? I, I, like That's a big part of it is making money. And the other thing is working for AEW is amazing as a professional wrestler because you only have to work two days out of the week sometimes three if you do a pay-per-view these people have normal lives now outside of AEW. you just have to go do your tv taping and that's it and a lot of it is based out of florida so can she continue her combat sports career certainly would she want to i mean i would think she's getting enough income between what she's doing on the side plus pro wrestling if she were to sign a deal i think she would sign a good deal she could certainly do it but i i think she could manage both for sure jason yeah, I, uh, I remember Jake Hager did an interview. I forget where he did it, but he, uh, he talked about basically he, he lives here in Tampa. Maybe it was for you know the, the last Bellator fight he had, and he kind of talked about what his wrestling schedule was and how basically AEW made just so easy. I mean, I think this was a time where like, it was it like AEW was like doing a live show Wednesday and taping a show on Thursday or something like that, and then basically the wrestlers had to wrestle the week off. 
basically the way it works is they tape everything on Wednesdays, uh, but they fly in on Tuesdays. And that's usually how it works. Like they'll tape a Friday show, that a one-hour Friday show, after their live Wednesday show goes off the air. Occasionally, they'll go live on Friday, and that usually happens whenever they're doing a pay-per-view, which they only do four pay-per-views a year, which are on Sundays. But by and large, if you're a main roster attraction, it's a two-day commitment, Tuesdays and Wednesdays each week. That's not bad. No, it's a phenomenal gig trying to be successful to get signed by AEW, Jason. I, I would love to uh, sign a six-figure contract to only work two days out of the week. Are you kidding me? Yeah, I'll say, like, look, I, I rarely watch the wrestling park at this point, but I will tell you, I, I did listen to that Vince McMahon interview on um, Pat McAfee show. That was really good. Look, was it entertaining? Yes. Was it good journalism? Hell no. Well, I was, not, was expe- not oh, first off, I was not expecting good journalism going into it because you have your uh, employee interviewing the boss. Yes. Yes, you're totally right. You're totally right. Come on, that'd be like the Dana White going on the Joe Rogan show. What, what do you expect's going to happen? Uh, yeah, no, you, you're right. But I, I saw all these people like praising this interview and it was good and it was entertaining. And I listened to all of it. And I love the energy Pat McAfee brings, but let's not give him an Edward R. Murrow award for this. Like we learned nothing from Vince McMahon. Okay. As, as now, a, now, now, now here's what I learned about Vince McMahon. What'd you learn? What'd you learn? He's a wear tennis shoes with suit guy. Oh, you see, I didn't see the, I, I didn't see the interview. I well, you I listen, you listen to the podcast version of it. No, no, no. I, I what, what I do is I play it on my laptop on YouTube while I do body weight exercises like push ups and, and crunches and squats to try and be a pro wrestler. So I didn't. I wasn't watching the video, so I didn't know he had tennis shoes on. Damn. Yeah, yeah. I mean, like, yeah. I mean, none of it was crazy. Um, but yeah, I mean, like, what do we there? He 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 works out at one thirty in the morning and he goes to sleep at three. Bro, I heard yeah, that. The, the I'm like, I'm like, yeah. that is nuts, man. That's crazy. You gotta think he wakes up. You gotta think he wakes up at like six thirty or seven. I, I just I, I when I hear that, I'm sitting there going, bro, do you like how do you, do you get eight hours of sleep? Like, do you like do two hours a time and you just basically take a bunch of naps every, every day? Like, I, I can't do that, bro. Yeah, I think he just, I think that dude just runs on three hours of sleep. I just think that's what he does, which, yes, I can't do that either. Like, I got six hours of sleep today, and right now, as we talk, I feel tired. Will I have enough energy to go to the gym? Only time will tell. You know, and, and you're 40, is bro. out here. Wait till you're 40, bro. <laughs> I'll, get, I'll, get, I'll get there before you know it. I mean, I'll get there before Colby Covington retires, probably. And, uh, and uh, will I have that energy? No, but you know, I got to get to it, man. I got to get to the gym. I got to get Jack, Jason. Yeah, uh, I'll, we'll, we'll get those get those numbers up. You know. Yeah. I think, uh, once I once I sign that AEW deal, <laughs> watch out! Watch out, Ariel. <laughs> and I'm not going on the MMA hour. Hey, man, it's uh, I've I've not watched it. But I mentioned it. I, I do want to go back and watch his interview with Kayla Harrison today to, to check out what she had to say, because. Uh, oh, God, what did she say? Uh, we've been doing so many Kayla Harrison interviews, Jason. I'm tired. Yeah, the one thing I just saw is basically saying that they're finalizing up a deal. I mean, um, you know, it was reported that oh, PFL matched the Bellator offer, um, which is I mean, look, it's, you know, 
look, you, you're, you're happy for Kayla to be able to make the money that she's going to make. Uh, but as a combat sports fan, man, I, I would love to see her and Chris Cyborg go toe to toe. Now, it also was reported Chris Cyborg is a free agent this summer. If you're PFL, then that's the fight you got to make. That would be crazy. If the Cyborg Kayla Harrison ha- fight happens in PFL, that's not something I imagined. I mean, look, I, but you know, I, I think maybe that's the fight to make if you're Eagle FC. I mean, I, I would tell somebody in Bellator straight to their face this. Right now, there is nothing you have that intrigues me about a Chris Cyborg fight. Her versus Casangano yeah. doesn't intrigue me. Yeah, I mean, rematch against Shane Cavanaugh. Yeah. yeah, really have no reason to watch that fight. I saw it happen the yeah, first I mean, time was, they fought. Maybe uh, Leah McCourt versus Cyborg does not get you interested, bro. Chris would roll through her in less than sixty. Yeah, yeah. I, I just I agree with you. Th- that's and that's the problem Bellator faced with Chris Cyborg. It's like, wh- what can you do? I mean, Kayla Harrison was the one fighter that would get me intrigued. You know, and and look, and I think Bellator's got, you know, it's one of those things that if I'm Bellator and if you're not in the Chris Cyborg business, do you just gradually just let all those 145ers go? Yeah, 100%. I think so. I mean, why why would you have that division? And and, and look, who knows? Maybe that maybe that was Bellator's thing. It's like, hey, if we can't get Kayla Harrison. Maybe they just sit there and say, you know what? Maybe this just isn't. Yeah, I mean, because I mean, obviously, there's a big financial aspect of keeping Chris Cyborg around. Yeah, it's the opportunity cost is what you can do with that money. If it's not going towards Cyborg, you can probably better affect your product. You can probably better affect your product spending it other ways if you can't make that big money fight. Yeah, but uh, we will see what happens there. But that is going to wrap it up for this edition of the MMA Report Podcast. Do want to thank William Frankie for coming on the show, talk about the legal side of the Kane Velasquez case. Also want to thank uh, my three Bellator interviews, Maz Burnell, Johnny Edwin, and Romario Cotton. I will tell you this week on the MMAreport.com, got a ton of interviews that are going to be placed up there. Uh, talk to Jonathan Martinez about his win at UFC Vegas 49. Also talk to Mo Miller, got a win at Fury FC 58. Also uh, did a conversation with Arian Zeki who's got a fight coming up here at Shamrock 337 and Chase Batwell who's coming off a win as well so be on the lookout for those over at the MMAreport.com until next week this has been the MMA Report Podcast your favorite podcasting platform and radioinfluence.com